Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. And welcome back. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. All right, and welcome, everyone. And um, we're going to jump right in today. And uh, Pam, will you open us in prayer? Yes. Dear Lord, we um, bring to you many burdens, Lord, and we have a lot of prayer requests on our hearts. Lord, but most of all, I pray that you would be with the listeners tonight, that you would open the word of God into their their lives and their heart, help us to answer questions um, through the Bible and bring the truth of the word to them. Lord, we pray that somebody will come to know you as their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we're continuing today with um, why why Paul questions, um, and uh, one of our um, the topics is um, uh, we put in our title was um, now I just totally lost my brain. Yeah, well, uh, common over- sayings that people yes. say that yeah, we they think two. are scriptural, but they're mm-hmm. not. Yes, so. yes. So we're going to start with those. Um, one one is a common one that I even hear a lot is people say that the eye is the window of the soul. I mean, because it sounds like it makes sense, right? So mm-hmm. so what what about that that one that we talk about? That that is a common one. And um, if you're turning along in your Bibles, turn to Lamentations chapter three fifty one. Uh, the concept of the saying that the eye is the window of the soul is the idea that you can look into someone's eyes and you can see their soul or you can see their inner thoughts or their character or that the eyes reveal things. And so they view the eye as a window. But that's not something that scripture teaches. I think people think that because the eyes are very expressive, right? When you look someone in the eyes, you can perceive things. Um, that scripture actually says the opposite of that. So, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51. Notice carefully what it says. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. In other words, not that the eye reveals the heart, but the eye affects the heart. It influences the heart. Look with me at Matthew 5, verse 29. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Well, does the right eye reveal the heart or does it offend? It it causes the heart to offend. So what happens is people think that the eye is the window of the soul, but actually the eye influences the inner man. It affecteth the heart. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But there's something that is really sort of interesting. Get with me Matthew 12. Get Matthew 12 and Luke 6. And we're going to look at at, at two passages here. Because once you realize that the eye is not the window of the soul, the the question you might wonder is, well, okay, then what, 
what is revelatory, what is disclosing of the inner man. Look with me at Matthew 12, verse 34. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Notice, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So what, where does the, the mouth's words come from? It comes from the abundance of the heart. Mm-hmm. Look with me at, at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And we'll look at verse 45, Luke 6, 45. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. So what both of those verses have told us is that when you see someone speak or you hear someone speak, more precisely, they speak out of the abundance of the heart. Have you ever, um, you, you've heard this saying before, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Well, someone can say the exact same words, but they can say it in a way that is gracious or that is hurtful, right? They can say it in a way that is angry and cruel, or they can say it in a way that is kind. And what happens is Scripture says the ear trieth words. So when you talk to someone, you can be talking to them about baseball or the weather or politics or the stock market or lawn care or or whatever. But in the act of speaking, you reveal what's in your heart because you you, you can't hide that. Your words Mm -hmm. and your um, the, the, the thoughts of your heart are revealed by your manner of speaking. Mm-hmm. So the, the eyes aren't the window of the soul, but a man does speak out of the abundance of his heart. You're right. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah, that's a that makes, very good point. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. Definitely with our words. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the next one we have is uh, not a question, but it's a saying that we hear a lot. And I think it's because people believe in goodness. So mm-hmm. all good, there's a lot of good. And we just can't phantom that anybody that has a little bit of good is going to be sent to hell. But um, the next thing is all religions lead to heaven. We just have different ideas, but we believe in the same supernatural being. So basically, yeah, everybody is everybody's going to end up in heaven. We all believe in the same type of God, or we all believe in God. Um, we but did that, have a we did have a president one time that said that. That all yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah the probably the best place to start is John fourteen verse six, and as we're turning there, wouldn't it be great if that were true? I mean, mm-hmm. it'd be great if no one went to hell. I mean, hell is eternal; it's a place of torment; it's a place of fire. Um, I don't want people to go there. I'm sure you're the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Now that verse means what it says. There is no way to the Father, to heaven, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I do realize it is a common saying that all religions lead to the same place, but that's not a scriptural saying. That's just something that men say. And it, it is in the category of wishful thinking. Uh, 
it, it would be nice if everyone on earth was saved, but it, it's, it's just not so. The Lord himself said that. If you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name that saves people is the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and the other names do not. Get with me 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Sometimes people don't like that truth because it's so narrow, but I, I think it's, you know, I would think about it this way. The problem that all men have is sin. We have a sin nature. We're sinners, and the wages of sin is death. So we have a problem that has to be addressed. Well, if, if I'm going to be your friend, I shouldn't tell you a solution that won't address your problem, right? Should I mm -hmm. sell you a a false medicine? Should I say, well, hey, try this. This will be great when it doesn't work. I mean, I'm not being your friend if I tell you a solution that really doesn't solve your problem. Look with me at 1 Timothy 4, verse 10. For therefore, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. So what happens real, real, real simply is this, the way that you get saved today is you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you trust in his shed blood as the payment for your sin because there's no other payment that God the Father will accept. Yep, very good. Okay. I have one here. Um, the 12 apostles and a little flock, are they a part of the body of Christ and raptured with the church, or are they resurrected at the return of Christ to set up his kingdom? So we never think about that a whole lot, but um, mm -hmm. maybe you could answer that question for us. Sure. Get, to, get Matthew 19, verse 28, if you would. Mm -hmm. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm just going to quote Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We know that's how the Bible starts. It's interesting that it starts that way. It didn't say that God created matter. It didn't say that God created living things and non-living things. It basically divides the, the universe creation into two locations, heaven and earth. The reason I mention that is that the rest of the Bible is about God's purposes that unfold in those two places. God has a purpose for the heaven and he has a purpose for the earth. Well, God's purpose for the earth is the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel is going to inherit its kingdom on the earth, and they will be in the new Jerusalem on the new earth. The body of Christ, which is a different group that's being formed today, we have a heavenly inheritance. So the body of Christ and, and Israel are different groups of people that inherit different places. Why does that matter? Well, look at me at Matthew 19, 28. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, and Jesus said unto them, he's speaking unto Peter and the rest of the 12, verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So the Lord specifically told Peter and the 12, when my kingdom is established on the earth, 
you will sit on thrones on the earth, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, M- Michael's question, which is a question people wonder about a lot, because when they, when they understand the body of Christ, which is a new creation today, a new group of people, they wonder, well, when the body of Christ was formed in the book of Acts, did all the people that were already believers under the kingdom program, did they then get into the body of Christ? Were they transformed into it? Well, Matthew 19, 28 is the answer. The 12 could not have been placed into the body of Christ, which is a heavenly people with a heavenly inheritance, because the 12 had to be on the earth during the millennial kingdom. So were the 12 placed into the body of Christ? No, they were not, because their inheritance, their calling is not one where they will be in heaven forever, but it's one where they will be in the Lord's millennial kingdom on the earth, and they will be in the new Jerusalem. Now, just to give you the sort of technical terms here, it's not real technical, but it's the, it's the, it's the 12 in versus the 12 out. The 12 in position says the 12 are in the body of Christ because God took them and then placed them into the body of Christ. The 12 out position is, no, the 12 never got into the body of Christ because they had to be part of the millennial kingdom. Well, we just saw what the answer is, right? Matthew 19, 28 told us that the 12 have to be part of that millennial kingdom and they have to be therefore not part of the body of Christ. Now get with me Romans 11, if you would, Romans chapter 11. Romans 11 is another verse that helps clarify that those that believe during the Lord's earthly ministry, that believing remnant, what Luke 12 calls the little flock, in other words, believing Israel both before the cross and after the cross, they do not become part of the body of Christ either for the same reasons we just saw in Matthew 19, 28. But look at me at Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So when God gives someone a gift and he calls them to a purpose, does he change his mind and say, whoops, change your plans. We're doing something else. Instead of me putting you and giving you the millennial kingdom, I'm now going to put you in the body of Christ. That's not what Romans eleven twenty nine says. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. So when God called people into the little flock, when he called them into that believing remnant, he's not going to change their destiny or change their inheritance. They're going to continue to have the inheritance that he promised him. So that's why the 12 are not part of the body of Christ. So um, when Christ returns, are they the saints that come back with him? Yeah. So when, when Christ returns at the second coming, and this is a great question, mm-hmm. um, he actually returns with his holy angels. So if you look with me at, uh, at Matthew, look with me at Matthew 25. And this is one of those questions where uh, the most powerful Bible study technique that there is, is comparing verse with verse. Mm-hmm. And so like, for example, when you read one verse about the second coming and, and, and it's a little unclear, you're not sure what it means. If you look at other verses about the second coming, they'll clear it up for you. Now we're told in multiple places that the Lord cometh with 10,000s of his saints, that he returns at the second coming with saints. Mm-hmm. Matthew 25, 31 tells you what they are. Matthew 25, 31, when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, that's who he comes with. 
Then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. So when the Lord returns at the second coming, he returns with the army of heaven. He returns with angels. And then when he comes down upon the earth, those people that have died in the past as part of believing Israel, they will be resurrected into the millennial kingdom. In other words, like people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right now, they are in the heart of the earth. They're in a place called paradise. Luke 16 calls it Abraham's bosom. And they remain there in that place of blessedness until the Lord returns at the second coming. And then they are raised out of it. They're given new bodies and they will be part of the Lord's millennial kingdom. And in millennial kingdom, millennial is a long word, but all it means is thousand years. So when you read Revelation 20 and it talks about the Lord reigning for a thousand years, that's what the millennial kingdom is. Okay, okay. great. Okay, good. Um, so, and um, I have, so if we looked at um, 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, uh, okay. which I'll read that real quick here, uh, to deliver such and one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Um we're going to go to break here soon, but when we come back from break, um, I was wondering if you can um, kind of really kind of break that out and explain what does that uh, verse mean? And that's 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Uh, so you can go ahead and start with that and then when we'll finish up when we come back from break. But if you want to go ahead and start. Sure. So when you look at 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, I'll just make a quick point. Um you notice how verse four ends with a comma. And so what happens is it's the continuation of a thought. So what we're going to do after break is we're going to start in verse one and just read down to get the context. And I think that'll help us answer this. So um, that's a great sort of cliffhanger. So everyone come back because yes. we'll give you the answer then. Okay. And we'll see you all back here right after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? 
Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are listening to the radio program, Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to michaelrmix at 14thstreetministries.com. Now back to Why Paul? And welcome back. I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. I'm your host, David Reed. And right before we get back into our questions, uh, Michael, did you have a preview of what we're going to start a new session at the end of the month? On um, March the 30th, uh, we, we had a request that if we, would, uh, if we would do a study of a book. So we decided to uh, do Ephesians, and we're going to have like a survey of Ephesians, and we will start that on the 30th. And if you have any questions in regards to Ephesians, be sure to send them to us, and we'll answer those for you. But we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. That sounds good. Sounds interesting. Okay. Uh, So we're back to um, where we left off with uh, my question of 1 Corinthians 5.5. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. So 1 Corinthians 5.5 is a puzzling verse because it talks about to delivering such an one unto Satan. And of course, the first thing that probably goes through your mind is, well, how do you deliver someone to Satan? He doesn't have a mailing address. How does that work? So go up to verse 1. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. We'll start there to just get the context of what's going on. 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So obviously this is an extreme problem. Verse 2, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So Paul's saying, well, you didn't kick him out of the church. You didn't get rid of him, even though this misbehavior is occurring. Verse 3, for I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So it's clear that what Paul is saying to them is he's saying, you need to put this person out of the assembly. You've failed to do that so far. You need to do that. It describes it as delivering such an one unto Satan. Well, here's why it says that. If you think about 2 Corinthians 4.4, it describes Satan as the god of this world. He's not the God in the, in, the, in the sense that he owns the world. God created the world. Jesus Christ created the world according to Colossians 1.16. It's his world. But the fact of the matter is that this earth, by and large, worships Satan. And that's the reason Satan is the God of this world. If you look at the world system, is the world system one of holiness, 
and righteousness and truth, or is it one of corruption and wickedness? Well, it's, it's one of corruption and wickedness. So when 1 Corinthians 5, 5 talks about to deliver such a one unto Satan, what it's saying is when you put him out of the church, you're putting him out into the world. And by putting him out into the world, who are you delivering him unto? You're delivering him unto the God of this world. Mm-hmm. Now, now, why do you do that? It says in this verse, for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Well, we saw in verse one that the person that we're talking about was obviously making some bad decisions. And those decisions were such that you don't lose your salvation because you sin, but your work is evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul teaches clearly in 1 Corinthians 3, just a couple chapters before this, that after the rapture, when, when the body of Christ is caught up to heaven, we go through a judgment that determines our reward. Well, the reward for this, this saint in 1 Corinthians 5 that's misbehaving like this is not going to be very good. So what 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says is to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, in other words, put him out into the world system so that he experiences the destruction of the world system and hopefully comes to his senses. That in other words, what he does is he quits this misbehavior. And if he does, then the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. It's not an issue of him getting his salvation back. He doesn't lose it, but it's the issue of him avoiding condemnation, avoiding being ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. Let me give you an example. So 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, you can be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ if your work here is something that's not good. And that's, that's exactly the issue that was trying to be addressed in 1 Corinthians 5. Get one more passage, get 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. In other words, these people departed from the faith and they were made shipwreck. Verse 20, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan. It's the same concept. He put them out into the world system, not because he was mad at them, not because he wanted to hurt them, but it says here that they may learn not to blaspheme. In other words, he wants them to go out into the world system and experience the destruction of the world so that they repent, so that they come to their Mm -hmm. senses and they stop the bad behavior. Yeah, very good. Good explanation. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you. Yeah, we have a question about the parable in the fig tree, and I think this came from last week. I cannot remember um, the name of the person that put that in during our live show program. Um, And they had a question about the dresser and who that person was in the garden. Okay, let's, let's look at it. Luke chapter 13. So Luke 13, verse 6 and we're going to look at the parable of the fig tree. Of course, we know what parables are as parables. Uh, they're described in scripture as dark sayings. They're described as riddles. In other words, there's something about them that is tricky or, or difficult or not obvious. 
And so they have to be explained. So Luke 13, verse 6, he spake also this parable. The other thing I should say about parables is it's, it's a story, but there's a moral to it. There's a, there's a, there's a point to it. Mm-hmm. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Now what this seems to be representative of is the Lord's earthly ministry. So during the Lord's earthly ministry, he comes to Israel and he has a ministry to Israel for three years. Uh, He has a public ministry of of three years that begins when he's age 30. And what happens is Israel doesn't bear fruit. Does Israel by and large accept his teaching and worship him or does Israel by and large, of course, there's some believers, Mm -hmm. there's a little flock, but by and large, Israel rejects what the Lord teaches them. In other words, Israel has failed to bear fruit. So what happens in this is the man that had the fig tree planted, he says, well, let's just cut down the tree. I mean, I, I've, I've come here for three years mm-hmm. looking for fruit. There's no fruit. Just get rid of the tree. And the response is, well, give it another year. Uh, give it another year to see if it bears fruit. Well, that additional year is the year after the cross. Um, after the cross to Acts 7 is a time period of roughly a year where Israel is given, in addition to the three years of the Lord's earthly ministry, they're given another year to bear fruit. Well, what happens at the end of that year? In Acts chapter 7, we know that Israel stones Stephen. Mm -hmm. So was Israel repenting and saying, well, you know, sorry about that. We realize our error and we're now going to bear fruit and do the right thing. No, that's not what they did. They, They stoned him. They stoned Stephen. Well, at that point, the Lord would have been fully within his rights to say, okay, you rejected God the Father in the Old Testament because God sent prophets to them. They rejected God the Son at the cross. And then after a year of the Holy Spirit's ministry, they rejected God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not inspired, but three strikes and you're out right? That's how baseball works. Now, baseball's not inspired, but Mm -hmm. the point being, Mm -hmm. Israel had rejected all three members of the Trinity at that point, and God would have been justified in saying, okay, that's it. You're done. But what he did is he called time out, and he said, instead of me pouring out my wrath, I'm going to give the world the dispensation of grace. I'm going to save the Apostle Paul, I'm going to give him the revelation of the mystery, and there will be a 2,000 or so year period of the dispensation of grace. So the parable of the fig tree is really about Israel not bearing fruit for three years, then being given an an additional year and not bearing fruit then. Uh, One of the things you asked in your question, Pam, was, you know, who's the dresser? And uh, then the other thing that if you look at verse eight, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it. this is my opinion when you look at parables. Parables always have a teaching point to them, but they are an allegory. 
And so an allegory doesn't, in an allegory, not every single item in the allegory has a, a practical world application, but there's a moral to it. Mm-hmm. And, and the moral, the overall moral of Luke 13 is Israel will be given another year, but if it doesn't bear fruit in that year, then judgment will come. So just to close the loop, when God inserted the dispensation of grace, judgment didn't happen at that moment. But when the dispensation of grace ends with the rapture and the body of Christ goes to heaven, then judgment will come to Israel because it was delayed. It was not rescinded. It's, it's going to occur after the dispensation of grace. Yeah, yeah and I would think the, uh, when they talk about the dung, I would think about feeding something. Mm-hmm. or um, supplying information or whatever, which mm-hmm. was given, right? Yeah, the, 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 the Holy Spirit is given in Acts 2. And so the Holy Spirit is, it leads them into all truth. It's, a, um, it's obviously a teacher. The Lord describes it as a comforter. And so the reason why, you know, you be careful about making application of every detail is you don't want to make the application of dung to you know, the Holy Spirit, that's maybe sort of, I don't know, irreverent. Um, but but the, the idea is that the overall point of the parable is that mm-hmm. Israel was given one more year, but they better bear fruit during that year. And if they don't, then there would be judgment. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. I have one here. Um, the story of the 10 virgins, five were wise and five were foolish. What is the significance of the oil? Because the wise would not share their oil with their foolish, with the foolish ones. Yes. So look at with me at Matthew chapter 25, and let's look at verse 1. And we'll just read through the parable here. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish, were wise, and five were foolish. Then they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour, wherein the son of man cometh. Now in that parable, there's a lot of different details, right? There's five virgins that were wise. There's five that were foolish. They have lamps that are trimmed. They have oil and so on. And there's a door that's opened and shut. The moral of the story is clearly to watch and be ready. When the second coming happens, and this is of course a parable of the kingdom, people need to be ready for it to come. They need to be prepared. If you turn to the Matthew 24, immediately prior to the, this parable in the prior chapter, look with me at Matthew 24, verse 42. 
Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So here's the basic point. The basic point is what people sometimes do is they think the second coming hasn't happened. It's supposed to have happened, but it hasn't happened. Well, there's no urgency. There's nothing I have to do to prepare. And people sometimes have this attitude about life. I I was once witnessing to a person, and the person basically said to me that she intended to get saved when she was older in life, but there was a lot of living that she wanted to do first. Now, is that very wise? It's really not very wise because you don't know when your life will end, do you? You, you? you don't know that you won't have a heart attack in the next minute, which is why the right thing to do is always believe the gospel the first time you hear it. If, you, if you're not saved today, you need to get saved right now. Christ died for your sins, was buried, rose again the third day. You're saved the moment you have faith in his blood. That's what you need to do. Well, in this parable here in Matthew 25, those who are part of the kingdom program that are waiting for the second coming, be ready. Don't think, well, I'll prepare some other time. Get ready right now. During the dispensation of grace in which we live, the next big event is the catching up of the body of Christ, the rapture. So it is important that you get saved prior to the rapture. So mm-hmm. if you're not saved, I would strongly encourage you, be saved today. Be, be reconciled to God. So that's the point of the parable. Um, it's to be prepared to get ready to to come to faith now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a definitely a key word because, um, you know, if, if someone that is listening, um, we had a question where, you know, are these video sessions available on YouTube? Well, actually... Um, we, these are podcasts that are on Voice America Internet Radio. Uh, you can uh, find us on the uh, Amazon uh, Music. Uh, so it's on there. I think it's on LinkedIn. So we have a lot of um, ways to listen to our, um, our program. Uh, so um, to answer Amy's question, uh, it's not on YouTube, but you can find it um, other places as well. And if they're, they're sitting here saying, you know, okay, well, you know, I do need to, um, to get saved. I do need to, you know, believe and, and accept Christ. I'll just wait till I know when to do it. Well, I think now's the time. Mm-hmm. I think now's that time to do that um, because you're here listening to us today. So you just now found your time. Um, and we'll be right back right after this message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. 
We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and welcome back i'm your host michelle mix i'm your host uh, michael mix i'm your host pam lampton I'm your host, David Reed. All right. And, and David, we so much appreciate uh, you helping us answer these questions. Our pleasure. Uh, and um, so I do have a question that um, you know, we hear about, you know, the saints. And is this an earned position? Uh, so what does the Bible mean about that? Uh, great question. Uh, l- let's turn to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. In In common speaking, uh, folks have the idea often that a saint is someone that has been bestowed a title by a religious group where they've, you know, considered the person's life and they've determined it to be sufficiently holy that the person will be recognized as a saint and they'll be canonized and, and so on. The Bible does not use the word saint in that manner. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. So the first part of the verse talks about those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They're, they're set apart, and they're called to be saints. Well, as you think about the church at Corinth, when you read 1 Corinthians, did the church at Corinth have everyone in their, in their assembly behaving in a way that was holy and just and proper? 
Well, you, they, they, they didn't, right? We just talked about that earlier about 1 mm-hmm. Corinthians 5. Corinth had a lot of problems, but he describes the, the folks here as sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. In other words, you are a saint if you are a believer, because when you believe the gospel, God sets you apart for his purposes. So everyone who is a believer during the dispensation of grace and everyone everyone who has put their faith in Christ, they are a saint. They are sanctified. They are set aside for God's purposes. That you, you, Having a, a bunch of men vote on whether or not you're sufficiently holy to be a saint, frankly, doesn't do you any good. Um, the moment you have faith in Christ, you're placed into the body of Christ and you become a saint at that moment. Okay. That's good. So all the um, um, all the believers all the way back were also considered saints too, right? So, yeah. Every, everyone that's beli- during the dispensation of grace, everyone that's a believer that has believed the gospel, they're a saint. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um, we also hear about uh, a question of the unforgivable sin. And what is an unforgivable sin? when we think that all sins are forgiven through Christ. So I think that kind of confuses some people. Yeah, that's a good question. People worry about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And and they worry, you know, did I, did I do something that is an unforgivable sin? There are unforgivable sins in the scripture. There are no unforgivable sins today. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, let's start there. Matthew 12 is during the Lord's earthly ministry, and during the Lord's earthly ministry, there was an unforgivable sin. Matthew 12, 31, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Now, during the Lord's earthly ministry, if someone committed blasphemy of the Holy Ghost, they would not, that could not be forgiven. But understand that we don't live during the time of the Lord's earthly ministry. That's not the way that it works for us today. I'm going to give you another example. Get Revelation 14. Revelation 14 and verse 9. During the great tribulation, which is a future time period, and the body of Christ won't be here because the body of Christ will leave the earth at the rapture. But during the 70th week, there is an unforgivable sin. Revelation 14 verse 9. And the third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. So during the 70th week of Daniel, during the Great Tribulation, there is a sin that can't be forgiven. If you take the mark of the beast, you are going to be damned. There's no way around that. 
Um, so anyone that is here on the earth during the 70th week needs to not do that. But understand, we are not in the 70th week right now. I know with all the things going on in the world, some people think we are, but we're not. We live during the dispensation of grace. And during the time in which we live, there is no unforgivable sin. There is no way to commit blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. There is no way to take the mark of the beast because the mark of the beast hasn't even been set up yet. The, the beast isn't here. He's not going to come until later. So it's not possible to take the mark of the beast today. The, the, the thing that people need to do is if you die without believing the gospel, that can't be fixed. So in other mm -hmm. words, right now, while you're alive and you're breathing, and now is the perfect time, today is when you should believe the gospel that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. The moment you place your faith in his shed blood, you're eternally saved. So do that right now. Don't, don't delay. But if you die without doing that as an adult, you're going to go to mm -hmm. hell. And I'm, I'm sorry that's the case, but that's, that's the reality. So there's really no unforgivable sin during the dispensation of grace other than dying in unbelief. So don't, don't, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And um, I do, for that question, we do have a question um, on our Facebook. Um, Sarah asks, as a Christian, is it possible to sever your conscience or the, with the Holy Spirit? If I'm asking it correctly. So, so you I can... Do. Paul talks about believers having a seared conscience. So, um, so get with me uh, Ephesians. In, in Ephesians, and I'll just probably quote it to you for the sake of time. We're commanded in Ephesians to grieve not the Holy Ghost that seals us under the day of redemption. So here's what happens as a believer. When you believe the gospel, the very moment you believe it, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you, and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. One thing that ought to give you great comfort that you can't lose your salvation is you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is not maintained because you always do the right thing. I don't always do the right thing. Our salvation is maintained because the Holy Spirit has sealed us. Well, that's a wonderful thing. But what that also means is the Holy Spirit indwells us. So as I go through my life and I do things that God doesn't like, think about the poor Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside of me. He has sealed me. And when I do things that grieve God, it, it grieves him, right? Because he's right, if you will, mm -hmm. in the middle of the, the bad decisions I'm making. So what happens as a believer, a believer has the ability to sin and a believer has the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. A believer has the ability to have his conscience seared because what he does is instead of believing the truth and operating according to the truth, he just denies it, denies it, denies it, and chooses to walk in, in untruth and, and unrighteousness. And so we need to be careful how we walk. Not that we'll lose our salvation, but we don't want to be grieving the Holy Ghost. Very good. Yeah, thank you. And I think My the pleasure. main part of that, the main part of that too, is your fellowship mm -hmm. with God. It breaks your fellowship with God. You become it um, basically in a spiritually dark place. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, walking in in sin is just a damage to your life, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, when 
just to take a simple example, when people abuse alcohol and they abuse it and abuse it and abuse it, does God punish them for abusing it? Or is there just a natural course that it takes on the body, right? In other words, if you just drink, 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 it's going to cause destruction in your life. And that's what sin does. The more that you sin, the more you are destroying your own life. So mm-hmm. just quit it. Yeah, the, more <laughs> it cal- the more callous you get. That's mm-hmm. right. Or the less just, sensitive we are. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we had another question. Go right ahead. Okay, one more. Why is there okay. so much evil and suffering? I'm going to suggest you there are three realities about life on earth. And the first is the earth itself is cursed. So look with me at Genesis 3, verse 17. And unto Adam, he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. In other words, the ground was not originally cursed, but when Adam sinned, God cursed it. So it has thorns and thistles and problems. I don't know about your lawn, but my lawn is full of problems that I have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. That's because the earth is cursed. The second reality is that every person you meet is a sinner. So Romans 5.19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. In other words, you live on an earth that itself is cursed by sin, and everyone you meet is a sinner. And then point three, our own flesh is sinful. Paul says in verse Romans 7, 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not, but what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. Look at verse 18. For I know that is in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So put these three things together, and this is what life on the earth is really like. The ground is cursed, so work itself is going to be a problem. Everyone you interact with is a sinner, mm-hmm. and your own body is sinful flesh. So there's going to be evil and suffering and problems in this life because of that. Well, the answer is. We need to set our affection on things above. This earth won't be fixed until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to fix it. But what we need to be focused on is our heavenly hope and telling people the gospel so that they can be saved. You're correct. Yep. And the gospel is so simple and so easy. You just have to accept it. Yeah. Today's the day to do that. Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, thank you uh, for joining us today and all your uh, great questions here on Facebook Live. Uh, We appreciate you listening in and we will see you all next week. Um, And we'll have more questions and definitely throughout the week, if you visit our Facebook page, uh, definitely put in your questions and we'll be glad to uh, take a look at those. Um, So thank you for joining us today. Have a good week. Yeah, thank you. Take care.
You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. 